Daryl Henson. Leaving in and out. Well, I guess maybe we're on. Not sure, because George always cut in and out two or three times, but I guess uh, it's okay there. I'll assume so, and we'll go ahead. I was just thinking during the singing part there that it is so nice to be able to have this kind of communication. You think back to the apostles and the prophets. Okay, it sounds like it sounds good. Traveling by ship and on foot and horseback trying to get a message from God. Here it's instantaneous through telephones, so that's truly nice. We've got a little congregation of six here. This house project is coming along, I think, very nicely. I think they made a lot of good progress this week. And uh, I think everyone is well back there. It sounds like they are from talking with it, some down there. So, here we are. Anyway, I heard one little report this morning, kind of a flash news, that Russia was stopping their mobilization into Ukraine and backing off. And I've since tried to confirm that and haven't seen anything to say so. Uh, the only reason I can think of that they might is that there's been a threat of Ukraine detonating a dirty nuclear bomb and blaming it on Russia, and if Russia had stopped, then why detonate it and blame it on Russia if they quit? But somehow I kind of have trouble believing that report, and what I have seen since is that Russia has uh, backed off on the treaty they had to ship through Ukraine uh, as part of their export program, which makes sense to me. They've uh, frozen about 17 billion in Russian assets in Europe, and uh, I can see why they would retaliate by cutting off grain shipments through Ukraine. Obviously, there's a war there. So, we'll see where this goes. It doesn't change the overall picture no matter what they're doing over there at the moment. Uh, because we know from prophecy that it is going to get worse, that Europe is going to come apart and America is coming apart. Both always realize that we need to touch it as how they touch it modify. So what they do is move it back and forth and uh, doesn't make a whole lot of difference in the meantime. All in that direction, and all of the Gentile leaders want to see this happen. Satan wants to see it happen, and God is dead and going to cause it to happen. So that's enough right there. There will be one, and we look at the little ins and outs and how it's progressing. You know how it's all going to come out, so that's in the moot point, whether or not they back off for a moment. Let's get back into Isaiah um, Here we started into a series of chapters about Babylon, the Babylonian system of the U.S. being the leader of Babylon, how Babylon is going to be destroyed. Uh, and then he has about Israel in chapter 14, and it leads into thinking about Satan, how he decides to displace God. And we know that is not going to happen. He's tried to fail, he's going to try again and fail. Uh, but God is going to punish the nations. He makes that very clear by the end of chapter 15. That the only ones who are in the place of safety or refuge will be those who are his people in Zion. And he will be able to trust in him. And then we come to 15, and this is a burden of Moab. Moab is one of the two nations that came out of the flock. 
have only one to go into pretty serious trouble, obviously. With the waters, uh, with uh, this guy out of the pepper three years old, uh, they'll have weakened and a cry of destruction. For the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, for the hay is withered away, the grass fails, there is no green thing. So here we have drought involved also with destruction. Uh, and where is there a great drought at the moment? Over the American Southwest. It's fed now all the way pretty much across the western part of the country to the Mississippi and beyond but it's worse out here. So this may already be in play to one degree or another. Therefore the abundance they have gotten, that which they have laid up, shall be carried away to the brook of the willows. Now the Mormons are known to have laid up great treasures. They pretty well raped the state of Utah and the surrounding areas close by of everything. I've read many stories about the Smithsonian Institute uh, grabbing everything in sight all the way across the country because many things indicate uh, European presence here centuries and centuries ago before uh, Ten of Rock and all that happened. And whenever they found that kind of evidence, they either put it in the vault under the Smithsonian they destroyed it, or they couldn't get their hands on it, declared it a fraud. In some cases, they were very, very intricate things that would have taken an incredible amount of time and imagination to have created in order to perpetrate a fraud. And we know from Mormon history, and Mormons say it, that they were under direction from Brigham Young, any kind of artifacts they found, they were supposed to turn them into the church. And there were all kinds of Spanish armor and various things around that were gathered up and the church took over. Uh, they wanted dominance over that area, not uh, the Smithsonian or the federal government. And so they were driven, A, to find treasures, and B, hide any artifacts facts that might indicate where those treasures possibly were. They also are known to be a very, very wealthy church. Uh, they teach tithing, and they have a membership that is huge, millions of people. Uh, the Mormon church is one of the richest corporations on the face of the earth, not the richest of yes, earth, I don't know exactly where they stand. But they have laid up an awful lot of money, and they own a lot of uh, corporations that have stock in a, a lot of them. So it fits uh, where they are. The abundance they have got and have laid up, so they have stored these things. Uh, Mormons will tell you about places in the Wasatch Range where they've made big caves and vaults uh, and stored a lot of stuff in there. And I have no doubt that's true. And they'll be carried away to the brook of the willows. It, interestingly, the Canad Creek means that. The creek or the brook of the willows. Oh. If someone come in and take their treasures and carry them out to the east, question, I don't know that, but it does mention here the Brook of the Willows. Uh, you see, I have a note here, Obadiah 1 says, let me sit back there just a minute to see what that says. Obadiah 1 says, that's the book about Esau. But Esau, Edom, and Ammon are mentioned very closely together because they were closely related to Abraham. And they have
things of Esau searched out, and all his hidden things brought up. Esau also will be very rich and in wealthy places, Genesis mentions, and says it again here. And all the men of your confederacy have brought you even to the border. The men that were at peace with you have deceived you and prevailed against you. They that eat your bread have laid a wound under you. There is not understanding in him. And some of the same things that are mentioned about Moab here are mentioned about, over, about Esau as well. And they are a little further along in the context here. And my belief is that Ammon and Moab essentially, uh, along with Esau, make up the Mormon church. And there are other people, obviously, who come in from different races and so on. But the Mormons, underneath it all, are very prejudiced. Uh, you couldn't become a Mormon if you were black, for instance, for a long time. You know, they just didn't want it. They still, if they're honest with you, and you get to talking to some of them, they say, we permit them now because it's politically expedient, but we don't really want them. So there's, <laughs> there is racial prejudice underneath in the Mormon church. Not just for black people, but for some others as well. But anyway, what they have laid out is going to be taken away from them. And the cry is gone round about the borders of Moab, the howling thereof to Eglam, and the howling thereof to Aaron, the Beeran, and I'm sorry, my eyes are still not working quite well, and I'm having trouble reading. The waters of Jamon shall be full of blood, for I will bring more upon Jamon, uh, lions upon him, the escape of Moab, and upon the remnants of the land. So the whole land of Moab, wherever they are today, uh, is going to be desolated. And I think that fills in quite well with our understanding of promised land where it is and that God is going to bring his remnant back to the original promised land with Zion and Jerusalem and the Mormons are the ones who are there in this area, or I say this area I'm in Montana, but I mean Southern Utah, the ones that are there today and whoever is there has to be cleared out in order for God bring his people in, set up a wall of fire of protection, and have them build Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, you can't have the Mormons interfering with that. They're the ones that are there. So, in the promised land, these people are there as well. We were originally, remember, Abraham and Lot divided up the promised land, Abraham taking second seed. So this is speaking of where those people are, and we know where the promised land was and is. Now we'll see that there's a connection here, that's what I'm leading up to, between Moab and Adam and Esau with the remnant church. That's important to understand in order to determine who these Mormons are. Now there's lots of God, red-headed, Mormons. Uh, there are a lot of blonde and red-headed Israelites, uh, but they were close-skinned back then, and therefore that's what carry on to today. And we know Esau was a red man, his hair, not his skin, but he was bloody, red, red-headed. And you see a lot of redheads there in Colorado City and Hilldale, uh, all through Utah. So they fit that way. White people of Abrahamic descent and uh, hair color and skin color similar, the same, really. So that's what we have in Utah. Then you the land, chapter 16, to 
ruler of the land, and Shiloh to the wilderness, and to the mouth of the daughter of Zion. So, the lamb could represent Christ, but he doesn't get sent anywhere. So, I'm assuming this would mean uh, one working for Christ. is the church. He is the head shepherd, obviously. And then he has appointed those under him as human leaders. And this is talking about the time of danger. So, the lamb is not Christ. He's not a teacher. It's a human who would be a danger. So, send the lamb to the ruler of the land, uh, into the wilderness, the mouth to uh, the mouth of the daughter of Zion, which is Zion, Jerusalem Hill, that area in southern Utah. So, a representative of God, the land, is to go to the leadership of the people of the land. Now you notice here in a minute it says, go carefully, quietly. There's danger, in other words. We'll get to that here in a minute. For it shall be that as a wandering bird cast out of the net, so the daughters of Moab shall be at the fords of Arnon. Fords uh, of Arnon uh, in the Hebrew is uh, joy, fords of joy. What does that mean? Uh, uh, Strong's importance divides that Arnon as a rushing stream for the descendants of David. <coughs> so it's where Israel is. So here, Moab and Israel are tied together. Now you go in the wilderness to Moabite leaders uh, at the forge of Saul. Now, is that the Jordan River? I think the Virgin River is a good candidate to be identified as the Jordan River. Ultimately, I don't know that. But when we see the maps, we'll know. But that could be the forge of Joy. Weren't they joyful when they crossed the Jordan River and promised land after 40 years of wandering? They might have called it the Forge of Joy. I don't know. Um, just some thoughts. It says, take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. So, it is a time of great danger. We know that Moab is being destroyed. And yet, God's people, <laughs> to some degree, for a period of time at least, appear to be, excuse me, uh, associated with them here. He says, Hide the outcast, trade not him that wanders. Let my outcast dwell with you, Moab. So, God's outcasts are those he is bringing who are cast out of world, and he's gathering together to do his project. So he's telling, I think, the Mormons here, to let my outcast dwell with you, be you a covert to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at an end, the spoiler ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. But we have people in our government today who are oppressiveness. We have the Assyrian army who's going to come in and oppress us. And this appears to be talking about that shoulder time when God begins to call his people together. And maybe the Mormons, the Moabites, and Edomites, and so on, have not yet gone into total desolation, but there's still some of them here, and they still have some form of government. And they are told, you take care of my people when they come. Now, we may be seeing a little bit of that, not where they take care of us necessarily, but some of us have already come into that area, and we're having to kind of get along with them. But I don't 
want to go out waving the flag and say, hey, we're the promised children of God, uh, take care of us. Uh, that would go over like a lead balloon with the Mormons because they control the land. Now, how far will this go? I don't know. It might extend into when God really begins the gathering and before they are diminished, as this chapter is talking about, or chapter 16. 15, I mean. <laughs> so his outcasts are coming to dwell in the promised land. You see, all through the that are coming to Zion in the original Jerusalem. So that being the case, that's where this has to be. And that helps, I think, identify truly who the Mormons are, because that's who God says to be, where his people come to Zion in Jerusalem. That's just the fact that who's here? They're the ones that are here, so it must be talking about them. And in mercy, verse 5, shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. And we saw back in chapter 11 that God is going to send someone that shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, because he was David's father. So this is speaking down through the line of David, and the Spirit of God will rest upon him, the wisdom and understanding. Ultimately, as I said then, Christ is the root of David, uh, but there are humans who have been sitting in that position since David, coming on down. So it's not any stretch to say there will be someone along the lines of David here at the end as well. And that's what this would be talking about. Uh, and the throne will be established, or the rulership, the leadership, instead of proof in the tabernacle of David. So the temple has to be built. Jerusalem has to be built, the city of David. Uh, and it has to be in the original place. So here you have these people. Juan, Blue-Eyed, Moab, Ammon, Esau, dwelling in this area. Now there's another one to contrast the Middle East with. Do you see that kind of people over there? No. Even the so-called Jews, or the Ashkenazi Jews that are there, are of a darker hair color, and even in many cases a darker skin color, than Israelites or these daughters and sons of Israel, of Abraham. Uh, what you have around over there is Arabs and Palestinians who definitely don't look anything like Israelites. That's what you have in that whole area. <coughs> Here you have people who look like they're of Abrahamic seed. So this helps establish yet another reason that southern, northern Utah, this, that area, is the original because where God brings his people is going to be where Moab and Ammon are. And they, along with Esau, the redheads, the blocks. Okay, verse 6, we have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud even of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath and his lies shall not be so. The Mormons are very, very proud of their religion. Uh, there is no religion but Mormonism. Of course, most people and most religions feel that way regardless. There's, there's Catholic Church is the only church. Mormon Church is the only church. And if you get a bunch of Baptists and Methodists together, they'll fight over who's the only church. So everybody likes to think they're in. But uh, like other peoples, the Mormon people are very proud of their religion and they're very haughty about it. And they are very deeply connected with Washington, D.C. and the CIA. Uh, Mitt Romney is 
very much a part of the New World Order. So they are connected at the highest of levels and are very proud of it and uh, brag about it. And rap as well. If you go back to the Brigham Young's day, anybody who gave the Mormons trouble would wind up in the Mountain Meadow Massacre or pushing up posing somewhere. And they do a lot of what they call blood atonement. Back in those days, somebody did something, uh, even individuals were taken upon themselves to kill them and call it blood atonement. And Brigham Young ordered a lot of that. It's pretty well, I think, died out, or at least it isn't headlined if it still happens in modern day Mormonism. And some of those who have moved out of Utah and Mexico and Canada and so on still talk about it a lot and still do it uh, when they're not around the United States. I've heard stories from the horse's mouth, if you will, uh, of that being done in his own family. Uh, his uncle was killed by his other uncle. And it was just blood atonement. And uh, this individual I heard it from had been declared a candidate for blood atonement and had to leave and get away from there or he would have been killed. And they tried to that and killed him. So this stuff goes on and that wrath and that anger is there. <clears throat> Therefore shall Moab now from Moab from how to themselves Everyone shall have going to be quite a destruction. For the foundation of Kirbar Eset shall you mourn, surely they are stricken. Now those are modern names of modern towns, but back then, and one of the main things I'm anxious to see when the treasures of God are unfolded is I'm sure there are maps probably lots of maps that will show you where all these places were. That'll be fun. They say, For the fields of Eshmael language and the vine of Sidna, the lords of the heathen have broken down the principal plants thereof. They are come even to Jadir. They wandered through the wilderness. So uh, we're talking about essentially a wilderness area here, which is in America, the area we're in, and around and through Utah and Nevada is about as much a wilderness as there is. Or maybe over to California with the Mojave Desert, but this area. The branches are stretched out, they're gone over the sea. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the Pacific or the Atlantic, because there are seas on both sides of Jerusalem and the seabeds, the lake beds are still there to this day. Sometimes I've seen water even recently. Therefore, I will be way over the weeping of Jazir, the mine of Sibba. I will water you with my tears, says God, and Eliela. For the shouting, for your summer fruits, and for your harvest is fall. So that when the drought, alfalfa fields won't get watered. If you see a field that doesn't have irrigation, you know about what it looks like. And not much there. <laughs> and the water supply is diminishing very rapidly today you know, for the whole Colorado River region. And most of that irrigation that comes, that comes out of the Colorado River uh, watershed, fell all through the southwest. You've got to go quite a ways north to get into the Missouri River. Or the Snake River to the west. Uh, but the southwest is Colorado River, and that is drying up. So the fields are starting to dry up. The magnet is taken away and draw out the plentiful field. That's the irrigated one. And in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting. Fetters shall spread out no wine in their presence. Have made their vintage shouting the seeds. Um, you can't 
got to get things to grow. Comes harvest time and you don't have anything, uh, your shouts of joy sort of cease. That's where we are. Therefore, my vows shall sound like a harp from Moab, and my inward parts are harvest. It shall come to pass that it is seen that Moab is weary of the high place, that he shall come to his sanctuary to pray, but he shall not prevail. That this is indeed the Mormons, and I think it is. They have their temples with the spires on them. Don't let anybody tell you that Moroni was an angel of God who gave the message to Joseph Smith. He didn't give, whoever it was, didn't give him Sunday worship. He was from God. He didn't give them penises on top of their temples and churches. He didn't give them Christmas and Easter, and they make a big deal out of that. He didn't give them a lot of things that are in the scripture. He gave them pagan things, Protestant things, uh, satanic things. They have come to the sanctuary, and what good is it going to be to pray there? Up to God. And this is the word that the Eternal has spoken concerning Moab since that time. But now the Eternal has spoken, saying, within three years, as the years of a hiring, not a three-year-old heifer before, here is somebody working. As the years of an hiring and the glory of Moab shall be condemned in all that great multitude, and the remnant shall be very small and feeble, but the pressure will come off. And apparently three years, and then that will change. Now let's tie that with Daniel 11 for a moment. I think he gives us a sense of the timing here, maybe, that their trouble is going to come at the time that God is beginning to bring his people in, and Moab is supposed to be there to help protect them. But they themselves, then, are going to fall. And if, from two references there, it seems like it will be about a three-year period of trouble on Moab. But here, when you come to Daniel 11, The ruler that has come in, and this is speaking of the latter days, verse 14, chapter 10, uh, he will come in, a mighty king, verse 3 of chapter 11, and stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And then it says the kingdom will be divided to the four winds of heaven. And so on, and the king of the south, verse 5, shall be strong, and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him, and have dominion, his dominion shall be a great dominion. And in the end of years they shall join themselves together, for the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. So, a marriage uh, between the king of the north and the king of the south to try to make a truce. Now, realize here that what's going on in the world is that the times of the Gentiles will be starting and they will rule for 42 months as Revelation 11 clearly shows. But Daniel earlier says that it will be a kingdom of iron and miry well, feet of iron and miry clay, which don't cling together very well. So with that kind of feet, you don't walk too well. Uh, you're, you're having trouble within the world rulership. It won't be all peaceful. And here you see that they're fighting, and it talks in here as well about the king of the south pushing at the king of the north, and they'll, they'll have their differences and their troubles, but they will have combined by this time to pretty much destroy the United States in, in Europe and will have taken over a preeminence in the world. So here you're talking about uh, something coming out of, let's say, BRICS today. Uh, there's at least 30 countries making application to get in BRICS at uh, the beginning of the year, leaving the West and joining with Russia and China primarily, among others. 
including the Arabs. Uh, so you may have the king of the south there kind of marrying up with the king of the north. Arabs get together with Russia and China. Anyway, they'll join themselves together in the end of years, make this covenant. There's seven, but out of a branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army, and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north, and shall deal against them, and shall prevail. So the king of the north is going to have his trouble. And we see also that when the Assyrian comes into God's land, the promised land, in Isaiah 7 and 8, 9, or even into 10 and 11, that uh, he is going to be repulsed at some point from there. And shall also carry away captives into Egypt, their gods. Now the world is typically typified by Egypt. I'm not that little North African country over there, but uh, the world of sin. Babylon is confusion, and Egypt is the world of sin. They'll go to Egypt, their gods, with their princes, and with their precious vessels of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. So someone is going to depose the king of the north and take the leadership. And maybe that's where Phoebe's, uh is recognizable. After the king of the north does his thing to Israel, uh, the beast may then appear. I don't know. Just, just some thoughts along there based on what this is saying. Okay, the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. Uh, and it's, then it's back and forth through here in chapter 11. Uh, let's go on toward the end of it. Verse 40, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots of the horsemen, and many ships, and they shall enter into the countries, and shall overflow and pass over. Now the king of the north, you know, will have taken over the United States and Europe. The king of the south then pushes at him. And maybe that's where he takes that preeminence we were just talking about. But he comes against the king of the north, and shall enter also into the glorious land. Now that's the promised land, the land of God, Jerusalem, and Zion. I remember there in Isaiah 7 or 8, where it says that the Assyrian will come in and pass over uh, into Emmanuel's land, is the way he puts it there. Here he says he'll enter the glorious land. So there's some back and forth between the king of the north and the south preeminence. And I think we have to kind of wait to understand exactly who those are speaking of. It's easy to categorize the nations in the north, Russia, China, and so on, as the king of the north, and we automatically, I think, have assumed the king of the south is Arabia and so on. But I don't know exactly how these configurations will come. The Bible speaks of those in the north and those in the south, so automatically you think who's in the north and who's in the south would have any power. You look at Africa, there's no power there. Uh, South America, there's no power there. <laughs> so you have to move a little north, maybe to find a powerful peak. And maybe that's why we kind of identified the Arabs, but I don't know that that's entirely true. You'll see. But he'll have power over the treasures of gold and silver. Which, uh, which treasures of gold and silver? Well, he's just come into the glorious land. That's where God's treasures are. And the treasures that God gives to the Cyrus of Isaiah 44 and 45 will be shown, or will be used to show who is God from east to west. That doesn't mean that the church then is going to have those treasures from then on. 
And here it indicates that this king of the south will come into the glorious land and he will have power over the treasures of gold and silver. What happens to the church? Well, when this comes in and the abomination is set up, it flees wherever the individual is. He doesn't go to the temple and load up on gold and silver and then go to Zion. You don't even go back in the house. When that army comes and gathers around Jerusalem, you better zip to Zion as fast as you can go or you'll be killed. That's Revelation 11, very clear. Or clearly. So he is going to take over the temple of God and the city Jerusalem. He will not take over Zion. There's where God will send his people. And for all the precious things of Egypt, this whole land represents Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be in excess. Understand that the nations came from the original place where Eden was and scattered around the world. They didn't start in Africa or something and then spread around the world. Eden was not in Africa. Eden was where Jerusalem and, and Zion in the wilderness were. The tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. So he's taken over the United States and has control of the silver and the gold, but then he's going to hear some political sword uh, rattling, troubles. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. Uh, obviously he's going to win against whoever comes against him. Because this will be the beast and the false prophet who set up the abomination in the temple and do have the treasures. Well, the remnant church needs to Zion. So he obviously wins because it says that he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. That's the mountain of God. That's Jerusalem. That's the Mount of Olives. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. So he's going to win. He'll set up his headquarters. But what happens? Well, the two witnesses are going to go against him and against the rest of the exiled nations. Israelite nations won't exist anymore. They'll only have the exiles to go against. And as soon as the first resurrection occur, occurs, uh, this guy is going to be destroyed and none will help him because Christ is going to take over and destroy the beast's power and take the beast the most prophet by the map of the next moment of heart. That's what Revelation 17 and 18 are all about. Uh, did I not read? I, I passed over verse 41 here, the reason I came here. He'll enter into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and Ammon. So there you have Moab and Ammon, uh, the offspring of Lot, and of Esau, who are in the glorious land, but they are saved from destruction. <laughs> now we read about Ammon being destroyed, or Moab, I mean. And there are other places that say Ammon will be, and of course Obadiah and others say uh, Obadiah. Obadiah says that uh, Esau will be destroyed, Edom. But here, uh, a destruction comes that Edom, Moab, and Ammon are left out of it, but it's in the glorious land. So that helps establish what we were discussing before, that the Mormons probably are descendants of Edom, Ammon, and Moab, and are therefore in the glorious land, but here they're not going, when this destruction comes, when this takeover, they're going to be left alone, they'll be passed over. So that doesn't contradict what we read in Isaiah 15 and 16. It shows the destruction that probably will last for three years, and then they'll have some relief and be passed over when this last salvo of trouble comes. 
Well, I think it all fits together there with the tithing. And uh, they'll survive and not be persecuted more. But the church, the remnant of Israel, who is in the place of safety, of course, are going to be protected. Uh, as we read in many, many scriptures, and a bubble over them to protect them from weather, fire around them as a defense, and God will protect them in Zion. So the glorious land, the holy land, the promised land, will be run over by the beast power, and our signal to flee is when the beast and false prophet defile the temple. Uh, so this is all laid out in front of us, and Isaiah 15 and 16, then, are both very important chapters, which we're talking about a time when God's people are coming, and those are the people that are there, that we have to, to some degree or another, work with until their destruction comes. And to be careful, make your shadow is the night. Now, that reminds me of uh, when Nehemiah went in to build the walls of Jerusalem back. He went out at night. He took only a few horses and a few men he trusted and went and surveyed the area where Jerusalem had been uh, in order to build the walls back. He had to know what he was doing, but there were enemies about him. So he had to be very, very careful. And that's what he's telling us here is, be careful. It's a time of great danger. It's a time when... People are going to be wanting to take over the promised land. And at some point there, there is not much protection until God intervenes and puts that protection there. So between now and that time, I think there is a time of political danger, and you have to be careful. Maybe civil war will break out in the country. And the Mormons are going to take this side or that side. Most of them are more conservative and will probably take, let's call it the red side, if you will, as opposed to the blue. But it's a time of great danger, and we'd be right in the middle of it. So we have to be very circumspect, very careful, uh, maybe shut our mouths and sort of duck and... God will take care of us. But he tells them, take care of my people right there. So, so there is some association. I don't know exactly how that will happen, but it is there. We'll see exactly how it develops. God doesn't give us all the details, but he certainly gives us a fabric to understand what's happening and where it's headed. So I don't have any idea what time it is to turn the phone off so it wouldn't ring, but... Um, that's probably enough for today anyway. It's two o'clock. Well, that's long enough anyway. My voice is going, my eyes have been gone the whole time, so let's not get into something else with only 10 or 15 minutes to go. So we'll stop there for today. Unmuted.